This podcast is brought to you by A Hotel Life, an award-winning travel website and community founded by Ben Pundall. This episode features Martin Raymond and Chris Sanderson, founders of The Future Laboratory. Welcome, welcome, welcome to a Hotel Life Live. Thanks, Andy. Thanks. We for made you. it. Sorry about that little uh, technical hiatus. I, I actually stopped using Instagram two years ago, so I've completely forgotten every single technical aspect of how to use the platform. Oh, fair enough. Now, is that is that is something? That is yeah. that a trend? Is that is that something that no no? All jokes aside, why did you decide to not use Instagram? Just making me anxious. I, I thought really as a platform, it had so quickly shifted from uh, the early days when it really was about um, creative sharing for, for visual people who were visually driven, as opposed to people who were texturally driven, to just becoming a, a most serious platform for one-upmanship. And I, I just began to find that, find that really, I mean, it's, it's, really tricky. It's interesting at the moment. If you, I don't know if you, if you watch Instagram and look at it historically. So for example, if we were having the same conversation last year, the number of selfies was going up by three, four hundred percent. Look at it this year, and suddenly everybody is photoing outside again, looking at nature, you know, looking at the garden, looking at buildings, looking at anything except themselves. And I think, you know, in part that's to do with the fact that we're not looking good at the moment, you know, given <laughs> that we're all sweating over Zoom and looking more and more disheveled and less ironed and less well turned out. But also, and I think, one of the big trends we're seeing is this kind of conscious deceleration. You know, people being more introspective, but being introspective about outside things. So mm. think about how beautiful skies are looking at the moment, how clear our seas are. You know, we're right next to the Suffolk coast and there is absolutely no pollution whatsoever. So suddenly, I think it's almost like you've been wearing a visor to use the virus analogy, but somebody has wiped it clean. And you are now looking at nature, you're looking at the countryside, looking at cities without the contamination of people. And I think it's interesting that it's taken a virus to remove and to alter our perception in a way that increasingly, I think, and certainly when I was looking at Instagram today, you know, the numbers of people that are now posting books, they're talking about their hobbies, they're talking about things that in themselves are not just useful and about social kudos, but demonstrating an internal life. You know, suddenly you're aware that people want to show you they're intelligent. You know, they want to show you yes. that they're thinking and being challenged. And I think that's so different to last year where everybody had the Eiffel Tower on their head or were leaning up against the Tower of Pisa or were, you know, standing uh, with, with the great status boast buildings from around the world. So I, I kind of think... If anything, the, the visual cultural reset has been that we are now having to think differently, which I think really brings us back to how travel is going to change and our sense of hospitality and well, the sense of expectation. Absolutely. Martin, Chris, before we get there, you said you're, you're, you're in England, you're in Suffolk. Tell, tell us, you know, how, how are you guys doing and where are you? Um, I can show you. We're going to show you. We're going to do a oh, big great. reveal. Alex Withers, welcome to Hi, the chat. Alex. Oh, wow, look at that. Where are you? Oh, That's so, so nice. We're by the seaside. I don't believe you. There's a blue sky and you said you're in yeah. England. <laughs> yeah, and not, you know, do you see the point? If you look at, I'm not sure if you can see on the sea, but there are no ships. 
and there are no vapor trails in the sky. And normally, this is one of the most busy shipping lanes in the world. It's Felixstowe, Holland, you know, Germany. So that place is like a the M4. It's crammed with container ships yeah. and passenger vessels. And the sky above is absolutely white with vapor trails. So what we're suddenly, again, this whole point about how suddenly you have to relook at the world to understand it in a much, I think, more intellectual and, and um, communal perspective. So mm -hmm. for us, this is an exciting period because now everybody is saying, what next? And we've all shared the same experience. The first time in the world, we've had a single experience that what I'm seeing in the UK or in the US or in Cambodia or Vietnam or Laos, I'm absolutely seeing the same thing happening. And that's such a unique moment in history. Yeah. The question is, will we use it to our advantage or will it be, you know, back to business as soon as the, the, the lockdown lifts? But um, interestingly, this is week seven now. Uh, this is the longest I've been in one place for, for 20 years. Uh, and that's not a badge of honour. I mean, that's just the nature yeah, of, for of the peripatetic work that many of us have, especially if you work in the travel industry, that you're constantly on the hoof. You're always on the move. So this is seven weeks. Since I haven't been in a hotel room for seven weeks. Right. I mean, this, this is what anxiety looks like. Um, you know, I've, I've just had to iron my own sheets. Uh, so yes, I have sprayed them with starch as well. And, and how, is, how is life professionally? You, you seem to be doing okay personally. No, we so just, we could, look, look, as a business, you know, we set, we set up 20 years ago, literally at 9-11. Uh, we've been through 2008, 2009, the GFC, and here we are. We're a business that does kind of thrive on a crisis because that's when our clients need us most. Right. Um, and to be honest, so far we found that that yeah, they they are there, and including hospitality brands who are who are still thinking, um, those that can and have the yeah. opportunity uh, to are thinking post COVID and what are they going to do, and what kind of business do they need to be to come out of this? So whilst many of us are just right. trying to get our head around the coping, you know, over the next uh, three to six weeks, and wondering what the hell the summer is going to look like. Some of us can also have a small amount of time to think about the type of business that we want to be after this. And to come, thankfully, yeah. we're, we're, we've got the luxury of being able to work with some of those. Right. And I'd like to just take a step back and, in, you know, explain to, to our audience and, and to us, because you are, how do you describe yourselves in the work you do? Because the work you do, you are trend forecasters. I think that's a little reductive. You're more than that. I like to think of you guys as futurologists. And yeah. so if you can Oh, you've us. upset him now. He doesn't like that word at all. <laughs> well, look, thank He's you. you like that or challenge you on that. No. <laughs> thank you for not saying trend spotters, yeah. uh, Tansy. Please yeah. educate us. So no, 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 it's it not is a tricky what? one. It's a, thank, thank God you didn't say trend spotters. Um, but look, I mean, we're still a nascent industry, but um, Martin and I set the Future Laboratory up because we have both come together to work on a magazine, which is still going called Viewpoint, which offered a view of the future that would influence the sales and marketing strategy of tomorrow. And that was a product that we came together on. Martin was the editor, I was the creative director. So essentially he was words, I was pictures. And we created a magazine that looked or tried to look differently at how you would think qualitatively about being able to deliver visual and written data about the future rather than something that was empirical. It was intuitive. It was qualitative. It was creative. And out of that 
became a, a nascent industry to some extent, which in its early days was, yes, about trend forecasting because the format for trend forecasting was already there. You had industries like fashion um, and the apparel industry that needed people to help them understand change for a consumer market that was changing so quickly because fashion was reinventing itself every six months and other industries weren't doing that so we were able to apply what we'd learned in fashion working in fashion across the lifestyle industries and to really help other businesses think about what we saw was a consumer who was beginning to move much faster in the way that they were consuming and for us that was obviously both the positive and it was a negative so us for us the, the notion of sustainability has also sat at the heart of our business for 20 years which is helping businesses to ask that question which is what do we need to do to ensure we're still going to be here in another 20 or another 50 years, years yeah. time and so that's evolved from being about trend forecasting because when we started it was difficult to find that kind of information anywhere um to being more about foresight which is how do you help somebody guide through what is now a very very crowded marketplace where trends you can get for free online you don't even need to pay for them anymore but the insight that can help your business to understand what's going to be most relevant to you is increasingly something yeah. that service businesses like ours or advertising agencies or marketing companies can no longer necessarily just provide for free um, they increasingly give it some real value and deliver it up to their clients as, as value as a value Proposition. proposition. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting if you think about um, how, uh, you know, you work as a business, you know, you think about you're looking at what's new and what's next. And what you're also trying to do is a third bit is what learnings can you take from understanding what's new and what's next and how that can be applied to the market. So a lot of the time the, the you know, the clients we're dealing with are dealing with not just the now, but what I would see as a mainstream uh, consumer who really is just thinking about, you know, the best value, the best option, maybe something that is different, but not hugely different. You know, if you think about you have uh, your early adopters and your innovators in any marketplace who bring about change, who instigate uh, a shift in, in kind of standard values but also bring uniqueness to a landscape that is overly familiar what you then do as a business we study them and then we look at how their movements their shifts will have an influence on the rest of the population right. no, you know not not everybody has a chance to think about tomorrow and i remind people you know when they wake up in the morning most people are just thinking about their day they're thinking about you know fairly ordinary mundane things and uniquely as a business our job is to wake up and think about the impossible you know, to think about the extraordinary, to think about, as, as you know, in Alice in Wonderland, but, you know, the Red Queen, think about six impossible things before breakfast. And I think once you do that, you begin to understand the nature of the future. It's not happened. It's what if it could happen? If it does happen, how could it be different? And why would I want to participate in it? And that's the beauty of, of the work we do. It's all of the, the, the kind of the adjectives of life become more important than the facts because the future doesn't exist. We have to make it exist. We have to create it. But what you try to do, I guess, is build the beauty into the opportunity. So it's this hotel that shouldn't exist. It's this piece of food that it's, it's, it's fantastic. You know, it's this concept that you've never seen before. And then people start building on that. And then suddenly you realize, gosh, that was an interesting idea. It's now so last year, we're onto something else. Well, so. it's interesting because you, yes, to, to find a unique viewpoint 
it, it certainly helps. But I think at this point, you know, uh, as my boss said to me, the first rule of business is staying in business. Yeah. And I think we are entering some very unprecedented times. You know, travel, hospitality and the luxury industries are really, really on pause. You know, unemployment is at a record high or that we haven't seen in years. The future is uncertain. Or, or is it? Or do you think we'll be going back to normal, a new normal? Or is this, or is this a paradigm shift? Well, I, look, obviously, this is the come of the, the question of the moment. And we're already all lapsing into to, to, to the same cliches um, in terms of trying to look at this. And it, it does remind me, I wrote a piece about this actually last week that's coming out this week on the Future Laboratories website. It'll be live, I think, on Thursday. A uh, little, little uh, plug there. Um, looking at this, just this idea of the, if you go back, for those of you who've got enough memory and remember what it was like back in 2002, 2007 and eight, and we all talked about this idea of going back then and how certain market sectors like luxury or travel could cope with the GFC and what they'd do when they came out of it. And I think the important thing to remember is often um, these moments uh, like, uh, the GFC or like COVID-19 and what's happening with coronavirus <clears throat> are often um, are, are a moment to, to, to look under a microscope, something that was already there and was already happening. So they're exacerbating um, things that are already, that we're already living through. So I think the important question to ask is, is not necessarily about the, the notion of a new normal or about going back, but to really be focusing with um, as, just as much concentration as you can on actually the type of business that you want to be and the type of consumer that you believe is right for you mm -hmm. um, in the next six months and the next 18 months. And I, I think to, to start having continual conversations about this notion of a new normal is the, is the wrong question to, to be asking. Well, um, I mean, it, it, it kind of presupposes about that, you know, what is the old normal? Yeah, because most of us were getting that wrong. Yeah, and, but if you think yeah. about, the, you know, the, where, how we live in the world, we don't live in a linear fashion. We live, you know, it's multiplex, it's, it's, it's kind of multi-level, and you have different systems existing within the same time frame. So while some of us are vegan, some of us are, you know, gorging on meat, while some of us see socialism as a value system, uh, a lot of people hate it. And what I think we're... we're always looking for is what are the um signs of of continuous ongoing change that were identified before the current crisis happened because what really you're seeing is not that the virus in itself will bring about profound change it is like an accelerant it is simply making a platform burn quicker and faster that was already on fire so, right. the, you know, the, the push we're seeing towards um, sustainability, uh, purpose, um, the, the, the notion of, of, you know, being proactive and, and being positively engaged. All of these things are terms which we were using and you were using and, and, and times when I spoke to you probably about a year ago and they weren't in the common language. You know, they weren't in the common vernacular. Now I look at the sun and I look at... at, at um, 
the, the, you know, the New York magazine and I'm seeing the same terms. I'm seeing words, for example, like betterment, you know, how we can be socially improving the planet. So suddenly uh, what I saw was language that was, was minority and niche now being used by the mainstream. I am then hearing people talking about um, an interior dialogue or monologue, talking about, well, is this really important? Should not be talking about bigger things. Uh, becoming more introspective in, in their, the way they choose their friends, more considered. So if this is um, fragments of a bigger picture, which is how you assemble the future, you look at the clues and you say, where is that pointing to? And what's the general direction of travel we will see? So I think we're going to get two big shifts. One is a, a general understanding of um, selfishness, which in itself isn't bad. Selfishness means self-time, looking after yourself, maintaining yourself, having a more considered approach to how you look after you. But also running uh, parallel to that will be a mad leap towards unbridled hedonism in a way that we've never seen it. Because what you, you know, that's what you're going to get is I've been cabin fever for months. I am desperate to drink, mm -hmm. desperate to take drugs, desperate for sex. I want to go and party and I want to do it all in one week. So I think that- You heard uh, this here, everybody. Martin Raymond, ladies and gentlemen. Sounds like a fun time. We're coming out with you. <laughs> well, I, you know, I would love to have you out. The question is, will we be allowed to stand within two meters of each other? So the other right. thing is, you know, the reality is when you lift the, the, the psychology of the lockdown, there's still a physical issue. So for the next six months, we will still have proximity rules in place. We right. will still have social distancing. You know, look at hotels. I mean, hotels do social distance brilliantly. They're called hotel rooms. You know, in a world where space is a premium, the fact that we can go and book a room in a hotel and be there by ourselves is quite, it's still quite unusual. Yeah. So, but to go kind of go back to your, your point, Tansy, um, you know, if you think about, I was talking to a hotelier last week about this, and, and as Martin's just said, he kind of said, look, the hotel room bit is the easy bit because, you know, I could just reopen my hotel and we can work it out and, and we can pretty much make that work. But it's the F&B bit that I'm going to really struggle with because... No, I, think that's, I think it's the opposite because the, the, the borders are restricted so people can't fly in. So the hotel rooms, are, there's going to be a gradual recovery, whereas locally people are swarming to the food and beverage outlets. But that, that, that's a slightly different issue. Maybe we can tackle that later because that national versus international market, I think, is another layer of complication that we've got to add in from a practical perspective. But I think... In terms of F&B, actually delivering it is, is going to be a really tricky number for a lot of operators, especially hoteliers, um, because they're going to have to do things like obviously looking at the number of covers and how they can successfully deliver that. Yeah, um, sure. So whether you yeah. split service and yeah. then how much does that mean to your revenue per night and then your, your, you know, actually how much you charge. Added to the fact, do I really want to serve my guests with waiters wearing masks and gloves? Is that really what my brand is about? Is that what my experience is about? You know, all of this that you, know, you might feel comfortable with. But with this particular hotelier, we, we also came up with another level of conclusion about this, which was that he kind of said, you know, my partner and I last week decided to treat ourselves after X number of weeks in lockdown and we ordered a takeaway and we had a delivery and we got sushi. And this sushi arrived and it was only when it actually arrived at the door and we started unpacking it that we suddenly sort of felt a little uncomfortable about this food source that we'd previously really loved and ate 
regularly, but that somehow suddenly seemed to break all the new social conventions about what to touch Touch. and what not to touch and what was safe to eat and what not to eat. And so there are some often some really practical considerations that can drill down that might seem to be really peripheral or very, very superficial. And yet, can have a really important impact because I think underlying this, and this goes back to my point, is that if you think about it, most hotels perform really badly with their F and B. That's very true. They don't get it right, and they weren't getting it right before. So they're still not going to get it right, and they're going to lose even more money. But they often run the F and B as a loss leader because they know they've got to have it in there. And the number of hotels that really make a lot of money out of their F and B operations are few and far between. So the, the question, therefore, is moving forward as a hotel maybe my model has to change because i can't run fmb as a loss leader i can't run it as something that's just going to pull people into the into the through the door i've got to rethink the model by which i i make this space operate successfully and make me money as a hotelier so what is that rethink what do businesses Mm. certainly in travel in luxury what do they have to do what what practices do they need to adopt? What initiatives do they need to focus on to be successful in a post-corona world? Well, I think that you've got to know who your customer is first and foremost. And I think the problem is that before COVID, most of us didn't have a fucking clue who they were. And we're not going to know afterwards either. So, you know, and yes, as, as Mr. Rose has just said, uh, this is all about uh, and going back to your point, Ben, this is going to be about local. It's f- first off, this is going to be absolutely about local and national. Because if I can't attract the people that live around the corner from me, and I, if I can't pull them back in first, then I haven't got a hope in hell of surviving over the next six months. Yeah. Because you know, as much as we might love the idea, none of us are going anywhere over the summer. I don't think in most countries. I think you're right. Other, unless it, unless it's local. Unless it's yeah. local. So I think people from New York will be going to the Hamptons. They will be going upstate. They'll probably be staying at Deer Mountain Inn. Uh, I saw Roman there. Um, and, you know, I think those businesses that have nurtured a community over the past few months or years, they're the ones that are going to feel the yeah. support when they come back. Those that have been taking totally. advantage totally. Of, of customers are, are not, going to be, uh, not going to be in the game. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting if you think about, um, you know, I always go, who are the gainers and the survivors and who are the, 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 the kind of ones who are leave behind? So if I think about luxury and boutique and niche, in some ways their model and the characteristics of behavior imitate what will be permitted yeah. once we start pulling out of lockdown. So it's, you know, intimate gatherings, um, familiar faces, uh, food that you can fairly manage and work out the, the logistics yes. thing, you know, where it's yes. come from. Yes, I agree. Uh, the, the, well the story, about, you know, the story about the provenance, you know, we, you, I think we've all done the provenance thing to death, but suddenly it now has a more immediate appeal because if a barman is telling me that she has, has you know, uh, sourced this uh, ingredient X from four kilometers away or if, of the person who's cooking, say, comes from here, here and here, mm. The, the hygiene issue becomes implicit in it because you know that they know that your question is exactly about how this chain was protected mm-hmm. from source to plate. So suddenly the, the, the hotels that I always think big hotel groups always giggle at, you know, how can they work on 20 rooms? You know, how do they work with, with uh, you know, 16 covers? They're the places that will do well because how do I, for example, if I'm a, a big mainstream hotel managing big F&B um, offers, you know, will I really want to go to a buffet? Do I really want to go to a buffet breakfast where, you know, the big thing is about, you know, contagion, it's about infection, yeah. it's about... Yeah. Um, no more buffets, and I'm, 
I'd be really surprised if, if, if room service is not cancelled. Yeah. Somebody's here saying, well, you know, room service is going to be very important because people can isolate. Yes, that's very true. But I think also room service is where there is direct contact. I mean, there's going to have to be a... Uh, yeah, but do you know what I think? Interestingly, Ben, I think with room service, room service, I, even staying in a luxury hotel, I, room service could turn up in an all-in-one white suit and blue plastic glass, gloves on and a face visor for, for all I care. It's room service. You know, the, 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 the important thing is it's come to my door. So, uh, you know, you can be hygiened up to the max as far as I'm concerned with room service, and that is totally acceptable regardless of the, the quality of the, the so-called experience in the hotel. But if I'm in your five-star uh, five uh, gourmet, you know, kind of um, tasting menu, experience that I'm supposed to be paying you know 500 bucks for you don't want to waste one hazmat suit that's yeah. when I've got a problem right. with hazmat <laughs> well it's, it's like the you know I've been looking at already in Hong Kong they're offering you know isolation packages so their their hotels doing as uh, one of the Dorchester group doing doing you know you can book uh, isolation rooms uh, you have room service and delivery and if you think about it how many people have resorted to Deliveroo you know they're they're they're, they're kind of value has rocketed because yeah. we're happy to order things in to the home. I'd rather, I think, trust my hotelier to bring something to my room than a chap mincing about the city on a bike delivering something to my house. There's yeah. no, I don't know where it's come from. Yeah. And there's no way to check the history, what I call the traceability. Mm. So I think increasingly the terms that we were sort of imagine were becoming peripheral, like traceability, like, you know, last kilometer supplies, uh, talking to the producer, the little person, the resource, suddenly they become important again. The story yeah. becomes important, but also the validity and veracity of how the thing is delivered. So I think about blockchain where, you know, it's sort of, it, it came and went in the hospitality industry. And I think it will come back again because it will allow us to absolutely, and if I'm paying a lot of money for a room, I'm also paying for, you know, implicit protection and also paying for the fact that, if it's, it's $40,000 a night, as I was looking at one of these packages, I'm expecting you to absolutely have complete control over everything that comes into that room. Yeah. Because I'm paying you for a panic room scenario that you are protecting me. And, you know, I think that the, the reality of it is that, that while none of us would be expecting that level of obsession and detail, I think hotels that have been dealing with niche particular, you know, fairly... Um, kind of what I call customers who, who scrutinize the whole backdrop to, to where they're staying will benefit. Yeah. My big issue is what happens in the middle market where, right. you know, it was about, it was about value, right. volume, logistics, cheap staff, you know, not yeah. paying people enough, zero, zero hours contracts, all of those things which made your hotels profitable now will become, as somebody said, it is the elephant in the room of infection because you will not be able to show to your customer that you have checked everybody and you will not be in fact because you won't want to because as soon as you do that your staff are going to ask questions about you why aren't you paying us properly why aren't you protecting us why so all of these things i think um give uh, good hoteliers and those who i think that you speak to and a lot of the ones we deal with really vital ways to re-engage with the market mm -hmm. at a time where 
their, their question is, how do we speak to the customer? What do we, we say to them? You know, what are the, the, the things coming through? This is a chance for them to really get into bed with them metaphorically and to really get them to understand and for the customer to understand what it is about staying in a good hotel that makes a huge psychological difference to the rest of your stay in the country. Yeah. So there's a bigger story, a bigger message to be done, and then not a lot of people are doing it. Um, interestingly, we were chatting with um, Peter, the CEO of Design Hotels, uh, last week, because um, one of the things is here with us. Oh, so, oh God. so one of the things that one of the things he was saying was that you know within their um, uh, hotel portfolio, and certainly in a country like the US, they're already getting a lot of them are getting the bookings from families who are looking to take over the entire property. And so, in a way that large luxury hotels are used to, certain families say from Saudi or from Qatar, who, the Qataris would come in and they'd take an entire floor of, uh, of the Connor or the yeah. Claridges or, or or the Corinthia or whatever. Yeah. I think we're beginning to see how other wealthy families are thinking about what it might mean to take over a, a particular property. I think clearly we all know that, that um, private houses are going to see a massive boom yeah. um, over this year. So um, the ability to actually rent the house. Um, so the, the, we'll see these kind of shifts, I think, in that. And Martin's absolutely right. The, the feeling of control that you have over that level of engagement with a team, I think, becomes more yeah. important. And let's not forget that works both ways, right. which we can't just think about how the customer, the guest is feeling about whether they're going to get infected no, it's by making sure you're um, looking after your waiter. The, the, what about the, the, how your yeah. staff are going to feel yeah. about the fact that they've suddenly got all these people who just come and go? They're the yeah. regulars. Yeah. They're the ones who are there yeah. day in, day out. Whereas these guests just appear willy-nilly for maybe 24 hours. Yeah. So maybe we'll have to have minimum stays as well um, in, in, in some hotel situations. Or long stays. You've got to be yeah. there for two, two weeks or something I mean, like it's, that. It's, it's interesting just on looking at um, travel patterns, you know, how people will start to travel. And if you think about, you know, we, we, we kind of had great status boasts about how, uh, you know, short... Uh, high volume travel over a year. So we were visiting cities for, you know, three days. Yeah. And rather than taking two weeks Gonna or change. three weeks, we were just a really yeah. short stay vacations. Now, a lot of people are reversing that completely. So what they're saying is, if I'm going to travel and I want my travel to, <clears throat> have, you know, to be as least damaging as possible, let mm -hmm. me choose a six week or an eight week or a 10 week vacation. And because I can add on top of that, and I think this is one of the things that the, 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 you know, the post-impact of the virus can bring out positively, is I don't need to prove to my boss now that I can work remotely. Mm -hmm. So they can, they've seen me do it, so yes. they know I can do it. So a lot of people say, look, I want to take three months out, and I'm going to work on this, this, and this. And, you know, we will come to deals with our businesses. You will see teams doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I think also I'm seeing, you know, if, if I look at, um, we've written quite, and in fact, I think, uh, you know, Design Hotels have started, have released a magazine on the report, the Promatic Traveler, you know, positive, mm -hmm. purposeful, progressive, mm -hmm. and about, positive contribution which in a way i think See, we were going to ask you about that next ah, okay that here, I'm, Chris. I'm anticipating it just and, and you know that were a great moment where we now understand that every decade within the industry you get things like pleasure we coined a term called pleasure you know the notion of business and leisure travel being um spliced together to give us a different kind of traveler i think now we're seeing that third wave which is business leisure but also the sustainability aspects of how we travel you know be mindful about the, the the getting there and what we do when we're there and also what we do when we decide to come back yeah. in fact martin um 
you know, you mentioned the Bromatic Traveler, and that's something I wanted to touch upon. We've been talking about the business approach, but when we think about the traveler and who is this new traveler? Well, last year at the Design Hotels Conference, you presented us with this term you coined, the Promatic Traveler, which is the, progr the progressive nomadic traveler and what, the, you know, what it entailed. And I wanted if you could, you know, how, do you, how are you seeing now the Promatic Traveler and yeah. the current world and who is the new traveler? I, I think I think it, it, it's it's all Chris of us. It's stolen it, my name. You stole my name. It, it's all of us that, that, are, that are all, <laughs> that are signed up to to, to this uh, to, 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 and listening to this conversation today. We're kind of probably all promads at heart. And as Martin said, the opportunity that we've now got to think of how the the freedom that we may discover, which means that you know, like probably a lot of you, my heart is still in Italy right now. And it's the one place I can't wait to go back to. And if I've got to wait another six months or another year before I get to Il Pelicano and I get to the Cyrenews and I get back to Capri, I will just have to wait. But boy, am I going to enjoy myself when I get there. But I'm also probably going to not just go for four days and just fly down to Naples and then, you know, have a weekend in Capri. I'm going to go for six weeks yeah. and I'm going to find a way to make that work. And that probably will be because I will work as much as I can while I am there. And the new ways of working will actually mean that I can stay in a hotel and break up my time and actually successfully and responsibly work autonomously while living in Italy. And I think those of us that have that the luxury of that opportunity can afford to travel, not always really expensive places, but but see a shift in our lifestyles. Yeah, we will be expecting that and demanding that more and more at whatever love, level that we, we can afford um, and, and the way that we cut that. But by adding the fact that this is no longer about just taking time out to travel, but this is a, just about how we productively and effectively manage our, our, our lives, I think is the, the interesting opportunity that is suddenly maybe being mm. put in front of us. Well, it's also how we manage our thoughts as well and how we want to portray our lives, you know, in an ethical, moral way. We, we now want to travel knowing that we're taking care of ourselves, each other, and of the environment around us. So I think, yeah. uh, I, I think uh, the, the travelers that don't will be, you know, we've, been, we've had a fast-tracked awakening. And so yeah. if you're not traveling, you're not traveling with that in mind, yeah. you're, gonna, you're gonna have some prob problems but, along. Yeah. And we're going to have to do this responsibly. I was talking to a friend who has um, a boat. He's got a small yacht and it's down in one of the marinas in the Bay of Naples. Um, and he and his fiance are used to regularly traveling down there. Um, obviously, no one's on the boats at the moment. You can't get to your boat. You can't go out on your boat. But he's in a WhatsApp group with friends who live permanently on their boats, who are allowed to nice. be on their boat, but can't use it. They can't leave the marina. But they've already said the return of marine life um, within just that short six week period has been astounding. Uh, they've got dolphins coming into the marina. They've got a, a water clarity that people have never seen before in living memory. Um, you've got there's just this sudden shift in terms of uh, the quality of experience that people are having. The, the issue of course is how quickly will that deteriorate again? How can we try and learn the lessons from this and hold on to some of that in a way that's both meaningful and progressive? Um, because if, any, if last year was about anything and not about Brexit, it was about trying to all of us understand what a sustainability message really meant within the travel and the luxury hospitality <laughs> sector. And this, as you said, is a bit of a wake up call and it's made us all potentially realise what we've been losing 
what most of us have never really had, but what we're in danger of losing forever unless we really do dramatically change our lifestyles. That's very, very true. Now, going in completely the opposite direction, there, there has been, and I know you, you're, you're no longer on Instagram, Chris, even, so, that, but, but there's been, as, as you well know, there's been so much digital and online innovation that's surfaced during, during the lockdown. Um, is there anything that you've seen that's impressed you or surprised you or any, anything yes. you think that's really here to stay? Yeah, I, I loved um, uh, Emily Fitzroy from Bellini Travel uh, on her Instagram posted uh, a little uh, story she was telling. She made up a fantasy journey yes. with um, a, a road with Marie-Louise, um, yes. uh, uh, CEO from um, Il Pelicano, and also Yolanda Edwards. And, Edwards. Uh, you know, and the we three of them that. just made this imaginary journey of, every, of, of, of five impossible things to do in one day that you could never actually do in a real day in terms right. of, you know, having breakfast at Il Pelicano, maybe having lunch on the terrace at Suranus, and then going to... Um, for an afternoon stroll in the Tuscan hills to collect um, white truffles in spring. I mean, you know, you can't do it. It's bonkers. But uh, it was just so lovely, uh, this idea of actually, actually going back to capture what, from so many of us, the importance of travel is, which is that for many of us, travel wasn't actually something you did. Travel was something you did uh, internally in your head. You read travel books, you read stories, you know, travel travel writers took you to places you never thought you might actually get to um and that i think is is one of the things is, is that's as important as, as the being there that's almost as important as, as getting there yourself you're absolutely right and that is why i thought it was very important to have you to have yolanda uh, to speak to Melinda Stevens, to speak to Serena Gunn from Suitcase, to speak to the editors who can help keeping us dreaming about travel. That yeah. is so important at this time. We need to keep dreaming. We need to redream. We need to, 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 to create these, these adventures so that we can go out and support the industry. One in 10 people in the world is somehow earns a living through travel, hospitality, hotels uh, then we need to get back out there and support the industry again now with that said chris martin have you been have you been taking have you been taking life online have you been getting involved in any uh dance classes or master classes or, or cooking no, or I, yeah I, shows we were in a talent show we've uh, done bingo i mean it's look it's it's <laughs> it's one of those things where i think uh you uh, increasingly and this is where i you know to the whole issue about travel and imagination and you used a term there it was like adventure and i've started rereading great travel books and great you know pieces of travel writing and particularly for female travelers you know like the, if you think about from you know the 16th century onwards you had these great female travellers who were not just looking at it from a different perspective, but that, that there were whole issues that they were um, discovering and confronting. And one of the quotes, it's, it's um, a woman travelling through Arabia dressed as a man and, you know, having to, to um, she spoke fl um, fluent Arabic. She was a great scholar, uh, diplomat. She became one of the first female um, Islamic secretaries. You can imagine in the 19th century in a government wholly run by men with a nominal female 
you know, uh, in charge, Queen Victoria, where this woman was just, and she said, you know, the point of travel is not to arrive. The point of travel is always to be journeying. Right. And I think we've forgotten the issue currently. And this is why I was saying that, that uh, you know, rather than let things become a distraction, the bingo, the house party, the dance, the, the um, you know, mass online uh, lions. I found one recently where everybody just sits in bed together virtually, obviously, chatting. And, and in their best kind of pajamas. It's, it's like a, a kind of pajama challenge. I'm well, I, I, that. I'll send you the link to it. But what I quite liked was, was again, this notion of how we can reinvent travel. You know, we, we, we invented, we took the adventure and we turned it into a package. You know, that was a great contribution to, uh, you know, the, the, the British in, in, in um, the, the kind of late 19th, early 20th century. You know, Thomas Cook brought... Uh, the, they tamed the wild. That was the notion that you were making it safe for people to go to wild places, to meet wild people and to have wild adventures. And, and you know, what you were beginning to understand is that the wild is about serendipity. It's about the unusual. It's about the, the thing that we were never quite sure how the thing should work out. And I think that's one of the things we're seeing coming back mm-hmm. as a consequence. And I think that's because people are reading again, mm-hmm. you know, because they're engaging. There's a, there's a fantastic journey you can do. I think it's the Faroe Islands where you can um, virtually link with a um, resident of the island who's got a camera on their head and they can take you for a walk and you can you can you can instruct them which way you want to turn that street looks interesting can you take me down there can we go into this bar it's it's gone crazy because so you can now do virtual um you know ghosting you can choose a person randomly around the world and say can i come and live with you for the day and then they do the same with you so you give them a pov of your place your mates or whatever and they they are doing the same thing and i just think things like that really remind us about the, the, the fantastic nature of travel. But also, when I say adventurous, I mean the ordinary. You know, if, I, if I'm asked to visit, would I like to visit a, a, you know, a five-star hotel and have lunch? Would I like to visit uh, some house in a random cul-de-sac and go and chat to a person about what they're having for, for you know, that day's dinner? I think I'd go for the latter. I think a right. lot of people would. Right. And I think what, what this is doing is opening up the, the homes of people we would never have got to visit. Martin, you know, I'm, so happy you, I'm so happy you said that because obviously, uh, you know, a hotel life is a website and we profile, we profile beautiful hotels around the world, but we're going to turn a hotel life into a home life for a few weeks. Yeah, perfect. Have insight into like people's quarantining, like Tansy yeah. yeah. banana bread. She's a much better cook. It was a failure on my behalf, but she made her banana yeah. bread was amazing. <laughs> But you're absolutely right. People kind of want to connect with the normal yeah. again. But yeah. um, as, um, as my friend Floydy, who's listening here, um, he said, if you have a link to any of those virtual tours, please let us know, because I think that is the, one of the coolest things ever. And it's not, it's not the most technically innovative, but it's no, so not at all. cool. <laughs> but but I, think, I, think, I think, Ben, the, going back to your question as well, the issue is that you've talked about magazines and about the fact that for many of us, the buying that little slice of a magazine that gives us this journey into this world is, is, is you know, 10 bucks well spent. <clears throat> I think the interesting thing is that currently, I don't know a single hotel that translates that idea of the value of that 10 bucks into what they can offer to um, the, the, the person who wants an insight into their world and is going to be prepared to pay 10 bucks to feel that they are just part of that world for a little right. moment or a little part of time. Right. And I think we need to look at some of these kind of models that shift the dial from the idea that the only way to experience the hotel is to actually be in the bed 
and to be in the room. And actually, the digital experience has to have a value. It has to be something that we pay for. We explored the idea of a virtual a virtual hotel where you can have exclusive programming. You check into that. You know, you check in online at the weekend, and you have a virtual hotel. And I think that's the way that companies should go. It could it could actually present a quite a lucrative new revenue stream for a lot of brands. Do you remember? Second Life, Ben. Do you remember Second Life? No. No. Okay. Maybe it's that was one of those great virtual games where everybody was an avatar. You know, you walked around in these um, digital landscapes, and you know, lots of hotels built virtual hotels, and you could go into them and stay, book a room for like two dollars for your avatar and hang out. And uh, you know, you 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 kind of had set landscapes. You all went and walked around on, and I was kind of thinking. That, that, you know, still getting, we've never really managed to get the relevance of virtual. And I think that probably the mistake we make is we're trying to replicate what the real world looks like. So if I pay $200 to stay in a real hotel, would I pay, you know, $1 to stay in a virtual hotel? And my question is, well, you know, why do I do this? What's the benefit of virtual? What's, what it either enhances or it challenges or it reveals something other. So if it's not doing those things, then I think we always need to be wary of it. So it's interesting at the moment that the, um, you know, if I look at how hotels have used um, things like um, 3D, you know, virtual reality, mixed reality, etc., it's still done as a, an attempt to woo you in to the real thing. So in the absence of being not able to get to the real, we'll sell you the virtual. And I was thinking that, you know, why don't it, is it like enhancing? So why is it not enhancing my experience of the hotel? Like in the moment, and this is to go back to the chap in the Faroe Islands with the little camera strapped to his head. At the moment, I can't get to Positano. I can't get to Capri. I can't get to, to um, the George Sank or whatever. I would really dearly love to be able to get somebody to walk around those hotel rooms now with their mobile phone and let me have a sneak preview, you know, of the empty ballroom, the, mm -hmm. the, the bar that's not been touched for a week. I'd pay for that, you know. Yeah, the cupboards, you know, the back stairs. We forget that actually we're running theatres and the great thing about theatres, everybody wants to go backstage. Everybody wants to walk, you know, the, through the fly towers, go to the green room, the changing rooms. And you forget that hotels in themselves have that allure and magic and also, you know, the people who work in them. So I'm happy to pay in the absence of not being able to visit, you know, El Palacano or to go to, to the Column Door, the Carlisle or whatever, to pay for five minutes chat with that woman that would always be standing inside the door selling newspapers and she'd have, she knew everybody presidents or paupers, prostitutes or popes, she talked to them all in the same way. Oh. So I think we forget that the, the, what we, we could do with the technology shouldn't be confused with the format. You know, boring 3D is still boring 3D. On the other hand, that woman in 3D would absolutely, I'd pay $50, 50 pounds, 100 pounds. Martin, Chris, I'm, going cut, I'm going to cut you off because we've got one, we've only got one minute 44 oh. left. Instagram only lets us do that. Um, uh, one quick question from Tansy. To live on a high note, I, I remember you, there's something you said and really stuck with me and it was, the future is already happening, it's just not well distributed. Yes. And not that, I'd like to ask if, have you had any aha moments or epiphanies during this lockdown time and something that you'd like to share with us and leave us inspired? 
for the week. Okay. Um, thank. Well, I mean, that, that was a quote from William Gibson, so somebody far smarter than both of us put together. Um, uh, look, for me, actually, I think, I think that the, the sushi bit, the sushi um, uh, reflection was a bit of an aha moment because it just brought everything suddenly down to a very practical level, which feels a bit frothy. But then at the same time, there are radically different ways that we're going to have to do stuff that may completely change the way we think about something as simple as how we serve drinks or the type of food that we serve within a, a hotel property. And I, I think it goes back to really knowing the guest and understanding what our guest really, really loves and what they're going to want moving forward. Thank you so much, Chris, Martin. We, we Our got, pleasure. Uh, Thank you. A, few, a few seconds. Bye, Thank you so much. We're looking for that rebound travel with you at some point. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by A Hotel Life, an award-winning travel website and community founded by Ben Pundall. This episode features Martin Raymond and Chris Sanderson, founders of the Future Laboratory,